0: Welcome everybody to Dorchester Community Church. I'm saying that with a smile because we got more of us back today. Isn't that good? it is good that's what and you feel quite liberated and allowed to actually cheer you're also able to sing as well it's not just you guys that's watching uh, on broadcast at home but you are permitted to sing uh, as you know we've been trying to follow what the government have been guiding us uh, into week by week by week over this up and down through the pandemic and the same is true now so although we've got a lot more seats out feel free to sit uh, where you want to sit and if you are next to somebody who then suddenly goes, feel free to move to the other uh, side of the room. That will be totally okay. We're going to start our service by standing, if you're able, and worshipping God in song. Well, I don't think I introduce you um, to myself, in case those of you don't know who I am. Um, sometimes I don't know who I am, to be fair, so it's for my benefit just as much as yours. My name's Roger, I'm one of the leaders uh, of the church here. Uh, we've been um, thinking about this new series that we've called, somewhat poignantly, No Restrictions, and then in brackets, To putting your faith into practice. I have to say it's quite interesting now looking out at seeing all these people that now uh, haven't got face masks on because I can see how much you've aged over the last two years, which is fascinating. Some of you, it's dreadful to be fair, but but most of you, you look absolutely great. I want to give a little bit of an illustration here going back in time. Who remembers Muhammad Ali, that famous boxer, um, floats like a butterfly stings like a bee etc etc well muhammad ali was on an aeroplane ready for takeoff and the flight atten- attendant asked him to put his seatbelt on he replied superman don't need no seat belt. Well, the, uh, the flight attendant smiled and thought, well, I'm sure he's going to actually get strapped up in a moment. Imagine then her surprise, stroke disappointment, stroke frustration when that wasn't the case as she then came back and saw that he still did not have his seatbelt on. So she repeated the, the, uh, the, the, Command? Invitation? Quite, you know, the whole question, right? Could you please put your seatbelt on? Superman don't need no seatbelt was Muhammad Ali's uh, response. And quick as a flash, the attendant then said, Superman don't need no plane. Put on your seatbelt or leave the plane, which I thought was rather a quick uh, response. I wonder if you've ever met people a bit like that you think are a little bit above the law, or they think that they know all the answers. They rarely apologise and never see themselves as being in the wrong. Please, if you're in a married couple, don't now turn to your other half. This is not the day for that. Dave, especially you, it's a birthday, for goodness sake, come on. (laughs) The truth is, of course, that none of us know everything. Do we each of us make mistakes and at times say the wrong thing. We can probably look back <clears throat> at certain situations and wish we 'd said or done something different If only we play that if only game hindsight 's a wonderful thing how we need that gift of wisdom. And we looked a little bit at that last week. This week, we're going to be looking at the need for wisdom when it comes to temptation. I think it was Woody Allen who said, I can resist anything apart from temptation, which I thought was quite humorous. We smile, of course, because we know the power of being tempted, each and every one of us. And we'll think about that. Or we know that at times where we've caved in, And some of those are quite light-hearted examples. Some of us might be aware of other occasions where we've caved in. And that's had uh, a rather destructive uh, knock-on effect in our life. So this is an important subject. So if you've got a Bible with you, then do please turn with me in the New Testament towards the end of the New Testament. It's called the Book of James. That's what we're going through in our uh, series over these next couple of months. And Tom, who's back at home on his farm, is going to read to us from chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And you can follow on the screen. Over to Tom.
1: Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test... They will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created.
0: We heard the dog, didn't we? <laughs> okay, one of the greatest uh, challenges of living the Christian life is dealing with temptation. James gives us here a promise to those who endure temptation, a caution not to wrongfully point the finger for the source of those temptations and an understanding of how then that sense of sin and wrongdoing can develop within us. He's so to the point in terms of what he says and knows our tendency to doubt God's Goodness and his plan in times of difficulty, and he writes in, ta- in terms of trying to help us think rightly about god 's nature and god 's unchanging character towards his people. It should guard us from having wrong views of God and our situation so James offers us three reminders that we should uh, that should help us hopefully think rightly about God, particularly as we 're going through times of trial, although not exclusively so. That's what we're going to be thinking about uh, this morning. We're then going to be breaking off midway through where there's a message for the kids from Laura. We're going to then share some celebrations and then we're going to come back to this passage as it ends a slight in a slightly different way. But firstly, here's the first thing. God has promised a reward for those who trust him. We see from verse 12. We don't usually equate suffering with being blessed, but that's the adjective that James then uses. Blessed is the man or woman who preserve, who perseveres under a trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of Life for those people who are firm in their faith and confident in God amidst trials. Now, whilst that verse has much to say about our own response to suffering, the main promise, uh, the main focus, it rather is on the promise of God. He has promised eternal life to those who love Him. And that's what that crown of life is all about. The call to perseverance is a call to faith, and to trust in God. And whilst that may seem to imply a works-based salvation, we know from last week that what James is really looking for is that people prove their salvation by the way that they live their lives, through what they do. We also know though from scripture that even our own love for God and our enduring faith are gifts that he gives to us from heaven by his grace. So even in that, we can't really brag at all. The persevering, though, will be worth it in the end. So keep going, keep believing, keep serving, keep loving others. With a group of people this size, inevitably there's going to be a number of us who are going through certain uh, trials It's important to keep going and there is that encouragement to persevere because when he or she has stood that test, you will receive that crown of life that God has promised to all who love him. It will be worth it. It just seems pretty blooming tough at times in the here and now, doesn't it? Four of you. Wonderful. We know the reality of that, don't we? Life can be tough. So God has promised a reward for those who love him. Then verses 13 to 15, let's look at this um, uh, subject, that God does not use our trials to tempt us to do wrong. James understands about human nature, and he knows that when the pressure is on, we will be tempted to do the wrong thing. It's sometimes very often in the case, isn't it, that even when the pressure is off, we're still tempted to do the wrong thing. Amidst that temptation, we may be inclined even to point the finger to God and accuse Him as being the source of our temptation. Well, why did God put me in this situ- situation in the first place, or why did God let me take uh, that kind of choice that I made? Well, that's quite a convenient response, isn't it, if we succumb, because if actually God. God's at, at the bottom of that anyway. If it's God that's tempting us, well, then it's not my fault if I blow it, is it? So there's an abdication, if you like, of our own responsibility. If God is tempting us, we can hardly be blamed for giving in to the temptation. But James wants us to understand God right. And he wards us against accusing God of being a tempter. Because God is holy. He cannot sin. He can't be tempted and he will not and cannot tempt anyone else either. Perhaps then, when we're tempted, it's all about the devil. It's the devil's fault. But no, actually, James doesn't go there either in these verses. Even though he talks openly about the devil in other chapters, not here. He lays the responsibility squarely at our own feet. We are the ones who are responsible. So often we can jump to external factors, our circumstances, other people, the devil. We jump, we jump to wanting to blame uh, things that are out there. It's a lot easier to do that because then it's not my fault. It's the fault of those things out there. And I'm just unfortunately getting sucked along with that. James, as I did warn you at the very start of this series, doesn't put any punches And basically saying, "Uh uh-uh, it's your fault. Get a life. Get real. It's down to you and to me about the choices that we make. Things we can't control. We feel uncomfortable about We might not mean to blame those things out there, but as a believer in Jesus, nothing, absolutely nothing, outside of ourselves can force you to fall into temptation. Things outside of ourselves may well be factors in bringing us to a particular place where we're more vulnerable and where we're more likely to give in. But James says this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. One commentator says we are hooked by our own bait. That enticing, another writer says, expresses it like this. It expresses the magnetism of desire, the hypnotic attraction of bait for a hungry beast. And if we're honest, we kind of know that, don't we? And we could say in a light-hearted way, uh, um, a cream cake or a donut. And and we get the sort of light-hearted nature of temptation, but we all know that there's a load of other stuff under the surface that's far more sinister That's to do with where we place ourselves and our own choices in that journey. The source of our temptation is the evil desires within our own hearts. Jesus reflected that in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, 21 and 23. In Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 25, you get quite a comical um, uh, passage where Paul is wrestling with that which he wants to do, but that which he ends up doing. And that which he doesn't want to do is, sadly, what he ends up. Doing. Jeremiah chapter 17 as well uh, comments on that. Daniel Doriani says these words, he says, James personifies evil, saying temptations and desires come together to conceive. Their offspring is named sin. Sin grows up and becomes a parent too. The name of its child is death. As surely as physical conception leads to birth, this kind of conception gives birth to death. So how do you feel about some maths this morning, says he who failed his maths A-level twice. We're going to look at it in simple terms with the use of a little bit of a mathematical formula. Formula. Temptation in and of itself is not wrong. Jesus was tempted, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 verse 15 says that, but he didn't give in to it temptation starts with having a strong desire for something and then us having the opportunity to satisfy that desire. So in a mathematical uh, formula, and those of you who are mathematicians are sitting up thinking, oh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Well, there's no X and Y or anything else like that, but you can read it as this. Temptation equals desire plus opportunity. It's as simple as that. Just think about that to avoid us feeling threatened by the subject of temptation, I want to use a more trivial uh, illustration. I want you to imagine a young boy that's being tempted to steal some sultanas uh, from home. He wants them. There's the desire. And when he has a good chance to get them and not be seen, there's the opportunity, like when his mum is out that's when temptation can take a grip. Obviously, that is a completely hypothetical situation. I'm sure there's not been any young boy that was in that situation with regards to Sultanas. Sorry, mum. I I did cave in hundreds of times. I wanted the sultanas. I knew where they were, but I wouldn't go near there unless mum was out. Desire plus opportunity, then that leads on to what? Well, the second, second stage in the journey to crossing the line is sin itself. And that occurs when we give in and act upon it. Putting it in mathematical terms, sin equals desire plus opportunity plus action. Now, you can see the difference between those two mathematical formulas, can't you? Rich is sat there with his arms folded, evaluating it logically and sensibly, trying to kid everybody that he's got a mathematical brain. doesn't work, does it, Kay? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But you can see the difference between those two formulas. If we go way back to the very first book in the Bible, we will see that nothing has changed since the beginning of time. And I want to say this as both a warning and as an encouragement, that the wiles of the enemy are exactly the same now as they were back then. So I'm going to take time out to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And you can read about that in the previous chapter because, yes, he did. The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Satan making us doubt what God has already said. That sounds familiar. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. There's the desire and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And as the old adage goes, the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the man, and the man blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Boom, boom. There is a final stage to sin, though. And that, according to James, is death. It is reflected back in in Genesis, but also in James. Sin, when it is full grown, leads to death. Now, we're not talking about physical death here that is going to happen to each and every one of us, unless the Lord returns before that. I was at a funeral this week. You would have been to funerals. We know that the likelihood of most of us dying, if not all of us, is pretty much one in one, isn't it? That is going to happen from a physical sense. What we are talking about here is that sense of death as in a total separation from God eternally. Paul stated that the wages of sin, that which we deserve, is death in Romans 6.23. Putting it again once more in that, op- in that um, mathematical formula, if you like, desire plus opportunity plus action equals, yes, sin, but also therefore punishment. That which we deserve and that punishment is set for all eternity that's why it's so important that you and i get it right in the here and now with the choice that we make for or not for god there isn't any sitting on the fence Paul, in his most guilt-ridden state, cried out in the very uh, next chapter of Romans, Romans 7, that I commented about earlier after this back-and-forth tug-of-war that was going on within. What a wretched man I am, he says. Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? And then he added, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was something about this Jesus and what he did that makes all the difference, if we get it. Take stock of that and own that as a truth for ourselves. So although we may well well have some accurate conclusions placed in mathematical terms, there is and there can be good news here. And that's where Jesus fits in. He took that punishment that should have been ours. That's amazing. We didn't deserve it, but by his grace and his love for you and for me. He chose to willingly take that upon himself. Now that we know that journey of temptation and sin, we can see how best to help ourselves. As someone widely observed in the context of temptation, we may not be able to stop birds flying over our heads, but we can stop them building nests in our hair. Okay, for some of us that's easier than others. But in other words, as soon as there is an unhealthy thought or desire seek to nip that in the bud before it's too late james final plea here is straight to the point in case we're unconvinced and he says at the start of verse 16 don't be deceived my dear brothers or sisters in other words look, what i'm telling you is true get this it is really really important strengthened by the spirit we're able to put to death the deeds of the body that we read about in romans chapter 8 and you may want well to ask how Temptation's a powerful thing let's be honest as well as god's spirit within us if we're a christian god has given us helpful resources that resource is in the sense of his presence That Deuteronomy 31 and Hebrews 13 reminds us that he will not leave you nor forsake you. We know that God is there when that moment of temptation comes. That's why we feel so jolly bad about it. Because he is there, he is present. But he's also prepared to give us that strength and a way out. Also in Psalm 119, we know we've got his guidance. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. But let's just be honest, shall we? It's great knowing that God is with us. It's great knowing that we've got his word. And sometimes that tends to be where it stops, as if there's always a happy ending. I'll be honest, I blow it sometimes and cave in, don't you? I could actually go one step further and say, anybody not? That would be an unfair question. But we each of us know the answer, because the power of temptation is very strong. There may well be times where we don't take advantage of the strength that God gives or the awareness of the presence of his spirit or the direction that he gives through his word. We sin. What then? Is that the end? Kaput? Well, if you're a Christian, very often we then live under that, what I call false condemnation. James later on in one of his other chapters encourages us. He says, come near to God, come near to God and God will come near to you. So when stuff goes wrong, and we know that we've crossed a line, that's when we repent, confess to God, as in Acts 8, 22, and then we just leave those wrong things with God, with the Jesus who nailed that stuff to the cross. That's wrongdoing that's past, present, and future. Isn't that good news? Yeah, too right it is. I don't really care if you lot's here or not. It's good news for me because I need that message and you do too this is the gospel if we confess our sin he who is faithful and just will will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness we're going to pause right there as Martin and the band going to lead us in another song boldly I approach we can approach his throne boldly with confidence it's gonna be okay when we approach him with that wrong stuff we've done or it's still in our head that we're thinking shall i tell you why we can approach him boldly because he knows about it already it's no surprise so let's bring it to him and be released from all false guilt and after this song gonna hand over to laura Okay, so we've had celebrations. We're now going to look uh, just very briefly at those last couple of good news verses as we return to our passage and then have a couple of songs uh, to finish. Remember that God is the giver of all good news gifts. Verses 16 to 18. I won't sing that harvest hymn because that wouldn't sound that celebratory to be honest. But you know, you know that harvest hymn that goes, all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, thank the Lord for all his love. All his love. You say, for all his love. Absolute thankfulness and gratitude and praise within that one. of Maybe I could have got you guys to say, maybe we could do that. Let's do that. You know that, that verse, that, that, that chorus. So it goes: All good gifts us. sent
1: from heaven above.
0: Round of applause for all of you. That was a brilliant bit of audience participation there. Tremendous. Okay, but what about? When it comes to questions that I get asked from time to time, how can a good God allow evil and suffering? It's a good question. Why, though, does the question never come up, and I've never been asked, how can a just and merciful God be good to us who deserve nothing but his punishment? Well... Probably that question doesn't get asked because we're all sinners and selfish, to be honest. And that's your self-esteem boost for the day, uh, just uh, in case you wondered. Since God is holy, everything that comes from him is good and perfect. So somehow we need to try to see this and his being at work, even though tough stuff sometimes comes our way. Or we get embroiled with stuff that is so difficult to navigate through. God does not give us anything that is intended to harm us or to cause us to sin. Everything that comes from His hand is intended to grow us and strengthen us. He does not shift, He he does not change like shifting shadows, we read in verse 17. So in times that are uncertain and inconsistent and forever changing, we can find comfort and assurance in recognizing God's unchanging and never wavering character hence our theme for this year of changing times unchanging God and it's no typo error that the unchanging God is in capital letters very often when we've been putting that out on our uh, newsletters and stuff that sense of God's unchangingness A theological term for that, if you would like to look that up and study that as a word study, is his immutability. It means that God's character does not and cannot change. He will always be a giving God and his gifts will always be good and perfect. As James then brings this section to a close, he ends with a reminder of the greatest gift that he's given. Namely, our salvation. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth our world may well be cursed by sin and its struggles but god promised to make all things new we are a kind of first fruits of all he created that's what the word says it's kind of like a cream of the crop he brought us forth it's the same uh, language uh, as earlier that word birth he's taking us back to when jesus spoke uh, to nicodemus and the importance of being born again that new birth that you read about in john chapter 3 where Jesus says there, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was this religious expert, but he's confused, scratching his head. You mean I've got to actually climb into my mother's womb again? No, that wasn't what Jesus was meaning. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 1 Peter 1.3 says that God has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That same God who raised Jesus from the dead has also raised us from death to life. That's the gospel, firmly rooted in the person of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. But it applies to us if we believe that and grab hold of it. That's our opportunity and our decision. He lived that perfect life and died on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, bearing that very wrath of God, that punishment that we were looking to earlier that we deserved. But he chose then to be raised from the grave and to then give back to life for ourselves. So as we come to worship God in song we can do so not in the dark gloominess of thinking about where we've gone wrong or caved into temptation, but rather that all of the punishment that was due for each and every one of us can be forgiven the moment we give that all to Jesus, the one who nailed it there to the cross. So let's respond with smiles on our faces as we sing together these next couple of songs. And after these two songs, Paul is going to come and lead us in a time
1: of prayer would you pray with me dear almighty father we thank you for your, your presence here this morning we gladly identify with you and your purposes you are a mighty and wonderful God creator of all good things and we give you thanks we thank you for the promise of renewed strength as we identify yourself ourselves with you we also uh, would like your forgiveness for anything we've done wrong, anything that we've said we shouldn't have said, anything we've done that we shouldn't have done, and also the things that we should have done and haven't, and the things we should have said and had not And we thank you for that forgiveness, Lord. We thank you for that promise. We also thank you that we've been able to free up how we gather here in the building. We're also mindful of our oppressed Christian brothers and sisters who have not had such freedom and risk persecution whenever they meet in your name. We'd ask you to make yourselves known to our country's leaders and guide them in what appears to be an impossible time. We would like to bring you the needs of our family and friends in this church who are not well at the moment and need your prayer for all sorts of reasons. Could I ask you to bring them Comfort and healing and strength in your name. <clears throat> Please pray in silence for a few minutes for anyone that you're aware of that needs that prayer. Also take time to be still, and as you do, know that God gives you an inner peace amid the rush and noise of life. If you're pulled in all sorts of directions at once, may the presence of the Holy Spirit bring a quietness in your heart. And rest in the knowledge that he knows what he's doing. Amen.
0: Thank you, Paul. It's been good to be here, hasn't it? Uh, That's it. That's the right answer. The answer, that was what I was looking for. It has been good to see. It's really good to see a load of your smiling faces, I have to say, as well uh, here. We are living, aren't we, in in unprecedented uh, times. And they may be more than ever. It's right as we strive to think in this right way about God and his dealing with us and also with his world as we ask that question, what is going on around us? Regardless of what we face, let's remain confident in what God has promised in the giver of all good things. We can be sure that any temptation to sin is not from him, but from our own hearts. And we know this, really. Thankfully, we know that Jesus has indeed got the victory over all that kind of stuff. Let's not hide behind that as if thanks to the power of the Spirit in us we no longer sin. We know that's such tripe, don't we? Let's be real with ourselves, real with him and real with one another. That always bodes well. The fact is that we are tempted and although we do sometimes fail, gasp, yes we do, there is always hope in him. hope that you hold on to that. Christian life is neither a cynical request for reward nor a fearful avoidance of hell. Someone once wrote, it is not simply a stoic endurance of affliction or a withstanding of temptation. It is a life of joy rather than gritted teeth, of hope rather than fear, of faith rather than despair, of generosity rather than selfishness, and supremely of love god knows what he's doing that's what we've called today are we aware of what we're doing and how we're living that's the question chris is going to come and close in prayer thanks ever so much if you've watched us on our broadcast if you've got questions or anybody here has questions from what you've seen heard, or you'd like to know more about the church or what it means to connect with this jesus please do get in touch through our home page on our website we would love to hear from you
1: let's pray Lord we want to thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together as your family we want to thank you for being with us for speaking to us through your word the bible the words through Roger the prayers and the worship songs we want to thank you for your faithfulness to us And we want to thank you most of all that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We pray that you'll give us a new resolve to serve you during this week. And we thank you that you are the giver of good gifts. In Jesus' name. Amen.